Merry Christmas, Prodigal Church! Thanks for joining us for Christmas Eve 2023. Here's our staff and their families with some announcements. Check it out. Hey church, I'm Ashley and this is my family. We just want to welcome you this morning and say that we are so happy that you are here with us. If you are new here or this is your first time, head over to prodigalchurchfresno.com, click connect, and there you can fill out our digital connect card. This is the best way for us to get to know you. And to stay up to date with what's happening in Prodigal in the new year, make sure you download the Prodigal Church app with the notifications turned on. It's the best way to keep up with our calendar. If you would like to give to Prodigal, you can do so on the app, the website, or in the lobby. Thank you so much for your generosity. We have an amazing kids program here at Prodigal where we teach our kids to learn to live and love like Jesus. We have four different age groups from newborn all the way up through fifth grade. Thank you so much for an amazing year, Prodigal. Merry Christmas. We had an amazing PC Kids Christmas performance last Sunday. If you missed it, don't worry, you can find it on our YouTube channel. Watch and share family and friends. It is sure to add Christmas joy. In January, we'll be starting off the new year right with a new series, In Sync, Staying in Step with the Spirit. It's got a 90s vibe, and we might even see a boy band or two. We can't wait. So whether you're joining us online or in person today, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and, and a Happy New Year! If you're in grades 6 through 12 and aren't coming to our prodigal youth meetings, you kind of should be. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. upstairs in the Northwest Building. We had a great year this year with our meetings, our get-togethers, and our trips, and we can't wait to see what 2024 has in store for us. And just a reminder, we'll be right here at 10 a.m. next Sunday on New Year's Eve. If you can't make it live, we'll have our online service available on demand. Thanks so much for worshiping with us this Christmas Eve. We pray God's peace and blessings on you and your loved ones this holiday season. Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas. We are so grateful that you have chosen to worship with us this Christmas Eve at Prodigal Church Fresno. Wherever you are watching or listening to us from, we just wanna say Merry Christmas. Really do hope and pray that you and your loved ones have an amazing, peaceful, loving, joy-filled Christmas. Wherever you are watching us from, you are a part of Prodigal. We love you. At our house, we love Christmas lights. And so a couple times a week, we drive around different neighborhoods and we look at the lights, but we don't just look at the lights, we judge the lights. We rate them on a scale of one to 10. So a house that looks like this gets a 10, whereas a house that looks like this gets a one. And we've gotten really judgy lately. If there is a neighborhood with not many Christmas lights, my six-year-old will yell out the window, you're boring. Now, our church is a judgment-free zone. Come as you are, you belong before you believe, everybody is welcome. There is no judgment here at Prodigal, but in our car, driving around looking at Christmas lights, it is not a judgment-free zone. Now, Jesus has begun to convict us of our judgmentalism. I see a house, not many lights on it, I stick my head out the window and I yell, ya boring, only to realize that there is a nativity scene near the front porch. And little baby Jesus is waving his little finger at our car, encouraging us to repent. And so we have a new rule in our car. If we see a nativity scene, no matter how bad the house is, it's at least a four. Okay, so if we see baby Jesus, the kids say, 
that's at least a four. And often, these nativity scenes will have all kinds of animals. In the Bible, we're not told what animals were there that first Christmas, but we assume there were some because Jesus was laid in a manger, which is an animal feeding trough. And because in our adult services this weekend, we have our elementary school kids with us, we're gonna do an audience participation game. Now, this may not work online, but we're doing it anyway, okay? I'm gonna play some animal sounds. And you have to guess which animal makes that sound. And not only that, you have to guess also if that animal was around for the first Christmas. Are you ready? Okay, here's number one. Okay, sheep. Uh, were there sheep at the first Christmas? Probably, okay, probably. The shepherds were looking after the sheep. Perhaps they followed them. It's a good possibility. The second sound? Donkey, okay. Were there any donkeys at the first Christmas? Probably, we're not sure, but probably. There's this one. Were there frogs at the first Christmas? Maybe. Next one. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a walrus. Do you think there was a walrus at the first Christmas? Okay, that's a hard no. And then finally, this one, you're gonna have to listen close. Okay. Chewbacca from Star Wars. Was Chewbacca from Star Wars at the first Christmas? Surprisingly, yes, okay? We have photographic evidence of this. Now, there is so much more to the nativity than the animals around the baby. And there is so much lore around the Christmas story, it sometimes can feel like a fairy tale. And fairy tales begin the same way, once upon a time. Luke's gospel does not begin this way. Luke's gospel begins with Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, and a Roman census. And this is important because it signals the kind of story that follows. Once upon a time tells you that you're reading a fable, a fairy tale, a story that has meaning and truth, but it's not factual, and it often has wonderful life lessons. A lot of people would prefer to read the Jesus story that way. Getting a good bit of morality, but leaving out the bits that seem improbable or would require something of magnitude from me. But the author Luke slams that door in our faces. Caesar Augustus Quirinius, a Roman census, that reads a whole lot less like a fable and a whole lot more like a news report. It grounds this story in history. This actually happened, and here's where it happened, here's when it happened, and here's whom it happened to. So the God of the cosmos, who painted the universe, becomes a baby not born in a palace or a castle to a royal family, but born in a barn, born to a teenager, a poor teenager. And he has come to save the world from their sins. He's the savior. And that's the rub, isn't it? Save us from our sins. I don't know about that. We kind of think that we can, I don't know, save ourselves. You know it's true. What is the biggest section at Barnes & Noble and it's not even close? Self-help. Why? Because we know that there's something wrong and we're constantly trying to fix it. I am constantly trying to fix it. You see, I've got these two categories of problems in my life. I've got the problems outside of me and I've got the problems inside of me. 
And the problems outside of me tend to go by names like my checking account, my uptight neighbor, and the looming and complicated appointment at the DMV that I keep putting off. The problems inside of me tend to go by names like ego, anger, a preoccupation with my own comfort. And the way I deal with the problems outside of me are mostly to stress out and let it affect my demeanor and my attitude. Also, I feel sorry for myself that everything in life isn't going my way. The way I deal with the problems inside of me is to elevate how good I am, not even deal with the bad stuff, and instead just focus on how good I am as a person in general. And in a way, I am trying to make myself lovable in my own eyes in the way that I already am in God's. It is my fleeting attempt to deal with my greatest sense of value without dealing with the God who gave me that value in the first place. And every one of us has got these two sets of problems, outside and inside. And sin is the name the Bible gives to these problems. And sure, the word has been abused by many Christians, and it may reek with emotional baggage, maybe even trauma. And if that's the case, feel free to change out the vocabulary. Just don't ignore the diagnosis. Okay, I get it. I don't particularly like the word sin either, but in the Bible, sin is not an accusation or a condemnation. It's an honest diagnosis. It is the collateral damage of our external problems and our internal problems. And sometimes, it is just so very hard to find God in the midst of all of our issues, our troubles, our trials, our suffering, all of our problems. But the Christmas story tells us that he is not far, that God dwells in the normal, in the mundane, in the everyday, in the run of the mill. Yuri Gagarin uh, was the first Soviet astronaut to orbit the Earth. The year was 1961 and the space race was on. And upon his return to Earth, he held a press conference where he uttered the now famous words, Comrades, I have circled far above the Earth and discovered that there is no God in heaven. To which a Russian Orthodox priest who happened to be seated there among the press stood up and immediately said, Brother, you will never find God in heaven if you cannot find him first on Earth. And this is Christmas. This is the incarnation. It is in the commonness and the hiddenness of the everyday that we still find the Christ child. And if you can't find God in the beauty and wonder of your children, then you'll never find him in heaven. We will find God in the kindness and the generosity of others. We will find God in the majesty and the grandeur of his creation all around us and we will find God among the poor, among the lonely, and among the suffering in our world. Just as the shepherds did that first Christmas. This past week, my kindergarten daughter had a gingerbread making activity and the parents were invited. And so Sarah and I went and helped her use the icing and the graham crackers and all the candy to make a beautiful gingerbread house and it was awesome. Near the end, uh, I just kind of glanced around and looked at some of the other parents. 
and there was a mom and a son not too far from me, and I looked at the mom's face, and she was just staring at her boy in awe, in wonder. It was remarkable, something that probably happens all the time, but to see her joy and happiness in her eyes staring at her son, it moved me, and it made me think of God. My favorite author of all time is also my favorite theologian of all time, Clive Staples Lewis, most commonly known as C.S. Lewis. And his life, he had intellectually come to the knowledge that there is no God. But he said, I've got these feelings. He, he says later in a letter, when I write these stories, these legends of good and evil, of truth and of heroism, of goodness, they evoke something in me. And one day he took a walk with his friend, J.R. Tolkien, 1931. And he said, I believe there is no God, but I feel things that are at odds with that. And I don't know what to make of it. Tolkien said, you wanna know why? It's because those legends point to the true story. He continued, the way you feel when you watch Sleeping Beauty, maybe, just maybe, it's because there really is a curse that has fallen in a sleep that can only be awoken by a true prince. Why do you feel the way you do when you read Peter Pan, even though you don't believe in God? Maybe because you were never meant to grow up and you were never meant to become so self-important and serious. Maybe we were meant to be childlike. Maybe when Jesus said, if anyone wants to be a part of my kingdom, they must become like a little child. Why, when you read Beauty and the Beast, are you moved to something bigger? Maybe it's because there really is something ugly on the inside that can make its way to the outside. And being loved by someone as ugly as we are really can break a curse. Then J.R. Tolkien said, or maybe it's just nothing. They both went home that day, and that conversation is all that C.S. Lewis thought about for the next 12 days. And after 12 days, he wrote a letter to his friend saying that because of children's stories and the truth that they point to, this atheistic PhD became a Christian and one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus, every year at this time, the world grinds to a halt. Everybody but Walgreens. Why? People are off of work. Everything in the world changes. Could it be that there's something going on there? Maybe the greatest thing that has ever happened actually happened. God entered our world because he loves the world, because he loves you. There is a truth that is deeper than the truth in here, and it is the truth in here. Let's take a look at the, 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 the truth behind Michelangelo's beautiful painting, The Creation of Adam. What you see is God stretching out. Every muscle is, is exerted towards Adam. God is pursuing Adam, and Adam is kind of laissez-faire. He's like, whatever. Uh, this painting from 1512 proclaims a truth 
from the beginning of time that is just as true this Christmas Eve today. It's not about our disciplined pursuit of God, but about God's disciplined pursuit of you. God is reaching down from heaven every day for you. How can we respond? We can become like a child once again. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. C.S. Lewis, in dedicating one of his most famous books, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, wrote this to his goddaughter, Lucy. My dear Lucy, I wrote this story for you. When I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. And as a result, you are already too old for fairy tales. And by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still. But someday, you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. You can then take it down from some upper shelf, dust it, and tell me what you think of it. I shall probably be too deaf to hear and too old to understand a word you say, but I shall still be your affectionate godfather. We've grown up. We got jobs. We got anxieties. We got stresses. We've lost a lot on our way, and we need to come back. There was a time in your life when the supernatural was real, when anything was possible, and when you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was good and that he loved you. The Christmas story declares the simple childlike truth that God is good and he indeed does love you. You were right back then. And in Christmas 2023, God is calling you to come back. Even as we get older, we must get younger. The great author Irma Bombeck put it like this in her essay, if I had my life to live over, I would have talked less and listened more. Invited friends over to dinner, even if the carpet was stained and the sofa was faded. Eaten popcorn in the good living room and worried much less about the dirt when someone came to light a fire in the fireplace. Taken the time to listen to my grandfather ramble about his youth. Never have insisted the car windows be rolled up on a summer day because my hair had just been teased and sprayed. Sat on the lawn with my children and not worried about grass stains. Cried and laughed less while watching television and more while watching life. There would have been more I love yous, more I'm sorry's, but mostly, given another shot at life, I would seize every minute, look at it, and really see it, live it, and never give it back. May it be so this Christmas and beyond.